0: 575 The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: What child shepherds watch our king. come peasant King to own Him. The King of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone Him. This, yes, this is Christ the King, whom shed Cheers.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I received a a kind note just recently thanking me for the broadcast. This writer called it an enriching but sometimes painful message. He has no idea how painful. I was grateful for his message. This morning I was just praying through and crying out to Jesus about you and about this broadcast and also recognizing what this broadcast and what the message I preach has cost me it like Jesus has resulted in being rejected by family brothers children It's resulted in friends turning aside and no longer wanting to associate with me. It has meant laying everything down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't feel sorry for myself. It was my choice to proclaim this gospel of Jesus. There's another gospel being proclaimed today that is not painful. It simply says God loves you. All of your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. If you'll just say, yes, Jesus, he'll come and he'll give you this wonderful life and he'll provide for you. He will cover everything. You will be his child and he will be your father. And everything will be wonderful. That's a Gnostic teaching. It's not a gospel teaching. That's not what the gospel teaches. In the gospel, there's a cross involved. There's a crucifixion involved. I don't know how to even begin to talk with you today about this. I've come to a place where I recognize that I have no ability to communicate adequately the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. It's something the Holy Spirit has to step into. It's something the Holy Spirit has to quicken in your heart as you recognize the truth and then begin to walk out day by day the crucifixion and the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Now we're in a time when everyone is getting ready to celebrate Christmas. I'm not much involved in all of that. I have a hard time with the sentimentality of Christmas when it turns to worldliness. When it's all about the shopping and it's all about the parties. It's all about the feeling good inside. Because I know January comes and those feelings evaporate and the bills all arrive. No, I'm I'm much more interested in this man, Jesus, and what he taught, and being a humble servant of his, and walking out day by day, regardless of the rejection, regardless of of the scorn, even regardless of the lack of support. I've been called to walk out what Jesus has told me to do and to receive from his hand only what he chooses to give me. So, I want to share a parable with you. That's why all of this prelude is given. I want to share a very uncomfortable parable with you. One that we don't like much. And it's not spoken of often. And when it is spoken of, it's normally twisted, Let me just read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Luke, the 18th chapter. Lord Jesus, as I begin to share this parable, I ask that your spirit would come in power in the hearts of men and women as they listen to this broadcast, that they would not reject it. They would not cast it aside, but would seriously consider the issues that you will raise for our hearts and that, Jesus, you would have your way in us. I plead, Jesus, that you would have your way in me to the final conclusion of walking on this earth in the limited time remaining. I plead, Jesus, that you would have your way. And, Lord, I come with others who are listening, who are earnest, who are seeking to follow you with all of their heart, I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our minds and come and give us very clear direction. Lord, we we love you. I love you, Lord. I am yours. Come now and, and rule over this broadcast. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Luke the 18th chapter, I'll begin with verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector or a publican. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God? I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, this publican. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast, and he said, God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home made righteous before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it's very clear that even to begin understanding what this parable is teaching. We're going to have to look at it against the background of what God says about the human heart. Jesus said, from within, out of the heart, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts. I want to I turn to this scripture with you. It's in Mark, the 7th chapter, verse 20. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Now, it's it's easy for many of us to look at this passage and say, well, I'm not being sexually immoral, and I'm not a thief, and I'm not a murderer, and I'm not committing adultery. But then he gets to the more difficult ones like malice, being angry at someone, deceit, telling lies, envy, slander, gossip against somebody, arrogance. Oh, that last one bites, doesn't it? Thinking, I'm right. Well, I look at all of these things he's described and that's the character that Jesus looked at man and said that's who man is and then if you look at Galatians Galatians the fifth chapter it's very interesting the apostle Paul he begins describing the heart of man listen Chapter 5, verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we're beginning to get a picture of what the Scripture describes as the heart of man. Now, the conclusive argument for me is found in Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Well, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin, as it is written. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So, literally what we have here is a description in these three different passages that I've read for you. And we could read more. I mean, Jeremiah added the same witness. This was Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. That is, it deceives the man himself so that he does not know himself. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, this is God's picture of the human heart. It's called in Scripture, the flesh or the old man, Ephesians 4.22. It is the unconverted, it is the heart, even of those who call themselves Christians, because the belief in the modern church is you can never get rid of this wicked heart. You're going to have to fight with it. It's going to deal with you all of your life. And so we've come up with all kinds of wicked explanations. Saying, for example, that God loves us unconditionally. Look, if God loved you unconditionally, you would not have any inkling that there is a place called hell. If God loves you unconditionally, he can't send you to hell. God doesn't love unconditionally. We're told in scripture that he hates the devil. He hates wickedness. And all who do wickedness. And so these things that I've just described. Like the, the faith healer out of Brazil who has molested countless women. Who have come to him for healing. And so he molests them this man who was trotted out on stage by Oprah Winfrey and those like her. It's a worldliness and a, a lust after the things of darkness. The simple truth is that the only beautiful thing about the Christian is Jesus Christ. God wants us to recognize the fact that That we are of utter darkness, brokenness, self-despair. And the only answer is to allow Jesus Christ to be our righteousness, our holiness, our all. That's the victory. Because then he transforms us into his image. He makes us like himself by faith. Now, in the face of of God's description of the human heart, we can see what it was that the Pharisee did. He said, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. He was protesting his innocence of the very things that God says are in every man's heart. He's saying, these things are doubtless true of other men. This publican is even now confessing them. But Lord, I'm not guilty of this. And so he's saying, that God is a liar. For if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. 1 John one ten. Because he says that this is the darkness of the human heart. I'm sure, as you read this account in Luke 18, that this Pharisee was perfectly sincere in what he said. He really did believe that he was innocent of these things. And he's ascribing that innocence. God Himself. He's saying, I thank thee. But God's word stood against him. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. Now if the publican is beating his breast and confessing his sins, it's not because he sinned worse than the Pharisee. It's simply that the publican has seen that what God says is awfully true of him and the Pharisee has not seen it yet. The Pharisee still thinks that outward abstinence from certain sins is all that God requires. He's not yet understood that God looks not at the outward appearance, but on the heart and accounts the look of lust, the equivalent of adultery, the attitude of resentment and hatred, as the same as murder. Have you protested your innocence when God has began to convict you? Have you said, these things may be true of others, but not of me? And you really didn't know what the condition of your heart was. Do you have a sense today about a need to be utterly broken and humbled before God? If you feel you're innocent today and have nothing to humble your heart about, It's not that these things are not there but that you've not seen them yet. You've been living in a realm of illusion about yourself. God must be true in all that he says about us. In one form or another, he sees these things expressing themselves in us unless we have recognized them and allowed God to To deal with them by the blood of Jesus. Unconscious selfishness, unconscious pride, unconscious jealousy and resentment and impatience, reserves, fears, shyness, dishonesty, deception, impurity, lust. If not one thing, then another. But we are blind to it. We are perhaps so occupied with the wrong of the other man and what he's done to us that we don't see that we're sinning against Jesus and not being willing to take it with his meekness and lowliness. Seeing so clearly how the other man wants his own way and rights, we're blind to the fact that we want our way just as much. And yet we know there's something missing in our lives. Somewhere we're not in vital fellowship with God. We're not, we're not crackling with the supernatural. Jesus is not speaking to us. We don't have power to win the lost and the dying. We've been separated from God. The sin in question may be quite a small thing. But if we ask God, he will quickly show it to us. If you're willing to ask him and if you're willing to deal with the truth about your own heart. Oh, we want to protect our innocence. And we want to protect the innocence of our loved ones. We'll quickly defend them. Oh, he's not as bad as you think. He's just like everybody else. We live in a realm of illusion, not only about ourselves, but about them too. And we fear to have it shattered. But we're defending them against God, making God a liar on their behalf as we do on our own and keeping them from entering into the blessing. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to even really begin to talk about it. It's this illusion that has become so sophisticated. It is, the scriptures say, a great delusion will come upon the people at the end of time, deceiving if possible even the very elect. Well, that delusion is very clear today. And that delusion is that somehow I'm righteous without being righteous because I have accepted Jesus and now His righteousness becomes my righteousness, but I don't really get His righteousness. It was just imputed to me it was just ascribed to me but I'm an unrighteous man and the belief today is that I can continue walking in that uncleanness and I'm okay it's living in an illusion it's living in a, a place where God can't reach me to wash me and cleanse me and make me whole look at the scriptures. Well, let me just read a couple of things to you. I want you to see this. I'm going to begin with Romans, the third chapter, verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. So what if I come up with a theology that teaches me that I'm saved even while I'm a sinner? And I now call God a liar. Oh, not intentionally, it's unconscious. But I say, the blood of Jesus can't remove this old man. It's impossible for me to stop sinning. I'm always going to be a sinner, but I'm saved by God's grace. If you believe that, you believe in illusion. It's simply not true. Read the scriptures. Read carefully the entire book of the epistle of 1 John. It's just not true. And if we're not willing to come to terms with our true heart condition... As this Pharisee was unwilling to come to terms with his own condition. And so he went home. He was satisfied emotionally. He had been to church and he'd done his number. But he went home not justified, not made righteous. He went home still a sinner, thinking he was not a sinner, that he was forgiven. That means he was hell-bound. And many of you go to church Sunday after Sunday, and you even stand and confess that you have sinned that week as a standard confession. Baptist, Anglican, other churches, even some Methodist churches today are reading a confession out of their program, a part of their ritual, that says I have sinned against you this week Lord I've not loved as I should I've not done this I've not done that and the pastor the priest stands up and absolves you of your sin as though he had any authority before God to absolve anybody for anything because he too is probably an equal sinner before God just unconscious Well, listen to this Verse 19, this is Romans three nineteen. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Any man who is a sinner, whether he knows it or not, it is God's intention to silence you and to hold you accountable. Verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. In other words, you can't keep the law well enough to be called righteous. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. If you're an antinomian and you've pushed the law away and you've said, all of my past, present, and future sins are forgiven. I'm covered. I'm good to go. Even though I'm still walking in my wickedness. You've been deceived. You're walking in an illusionary world. But now, verse 21, A righteousness, an innocence from God, apart from the law. Hebrews 8, 8-12. to has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God, this innocence from God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified or are made righteous or rendered righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Now, most can read this translation from the NIV And never be awakened to the true meaning of what's being said. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified and the word justified has been corrupted. So that no longer do we get the true meaning of the word justified. It's an old English word. It meant to be made righteous. It's translating dikasune, which is to make innocent or make righteous. In other words, a transformation takes place freely by his grace. My salvation is by grace and grace alone, but not by covering my sin, but by removing it by the blood of Jesus, washing me and making me clean. This redemption came by Christ Jesus because God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. In other words, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed me and made me clean. It's transformed me into a new creature, a new man. I'm not the same old man. Now, if you keep your finger there, we're going to come back if you go to the first chapter in the book of Romans, Paul introduces this. I want to read for you chapter 1, verse 5. Through him, that is Jesus, and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes by faith. The mission of this book is not to teach you about imputed righteousness. It is to teach you rather that you must walk in obedience in newness of life in Jesus Christ. And the book of Romans then tells us how this happens. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Then verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness and innocence from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. and the next verse The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be made since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain so today the gospel is being repressed it is being put down, it is being suppressed and the wrath of God is coming against the church in judgment. The wrath of God is coming against the church in America in judgment because we have we've been told lies and illusionary things. Paul wrote the book of Romans to teach us to obey Jesus. And he's not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. In other words, if you will humble your heart and allow Jesus to come and deal with you personally. See, the Pharisee was unwilling to do this. He would not do it. And we come to the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. Romans 6. Let me read for you beginning with verse 6. For we know that our old self that is what I described at the beginning of the broadcast the sinful self was crucified with him So that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, the actual literal meaning of the Greek is not done away with. They, at the bottom of the page of my NIV, translate it, or be rendered powerless. Again, that's not hitting the nail on the head the actual meaning of the Greek word. Let me read the verse. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Isn't it interesting? It does not say, don't worry about your pride. Don't worry about how you treat other people. Don't worry about your ambition. Don't worry about your sexual uncleanness. Don't worry about it. You're saved. Your past, present, and future sins are all removed. No, it doesn't say that. It says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Wow. Okay, I want to come back now. I want to come back to this incredible parable today. Let me read it for you again. Let me turn to it quickly. It's found in Luke, the 18th chapter. I should have kept my finger right there, but I didn't. Okay, Luke 18, verse 9 to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. He's saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like others. Well, in fact, he is just like everybody else. He lives in a world of illusion. He actually believes that not committing adultery allows him to continue in his inner life with fantasies of every unclean thing. That it's okay for him to sit down and watch pornography. That it's okay because he's not committing adultery. He actually believes that That his inner life doesn't matter. I've been under great conviction about this. Recognizing those parts of my own heart that want to rise up. You can't treat me this way. You can't treat me like I'm nobody. I'm somebody. And on and on those inner thoughts of self-pity self-concern all of that is a part of that old man that has to be totally and utterly destroyed and removed and it is only done by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ I claim the victory in Jesus I believe on the name of Jesus But I've had to look very honestly at my own inner life and recognize that that inner life has prevented me from receiving the baptism in its fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm dealing with it. I'm being very vulnerable. I'm dealing with it. I'm praying that revival will come on this radio broadcast. I'm praying that you will enter into revival. But I know that that cannot happen so long as you maintain that you're okay. And you're comfortable in your religion. But you still have all these inner things of wickedness. Anger, malice, bitterness, self-pity, depression, discouragement, fear. All of these are unbelief. All of these arise out of that dark inner self that has to be cleansed from us that we would walk in total victory in Jesus Christ, rejoicing in him, walking in the power of his spirit. I mean, this Pharisee, he went home making God a liar with no power, no Holy Spirit presence separated from Jesus. His attitudes of resentment and hate, he didn't see that as murder. He was too busy protesting his innocence, which of course would mean I don't have to take any time to read the scriptures. I'm busy I'm about my life, I'm making money, I'm taking care of family, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I was very grateful this past Sunday that one of our new young converts who had planned to work during the worship service and not be available suddenly walked in and we said, what happened? Thought you were going to work today. He said, no, I changed my mind. See, it's that change of mind where I begin to make decisions to serve Jesus and expose the inner portion of my heart to him that he can begin to wash me and cleanse me. It's that inner work that must be finished. How do we talk about this? How How do we come to terms with it? Some of you don't feel that you have anything to be broken or humbled about. And yet you have no power. You're not bringing anybody to Jesus. You're not bringing converts to Jesus. You think you're innocent, but you're not because the outward demonstration of the gospel is absent from your life. You're just an institutional Christian. So you're living in a fantasy world. I want that to change for you. I want you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to uncover all unconsciousness, all selfishness, pride, all jealousy, resentment, impatience, reserve, fear, shyness, dishonesty, deception, impurity, lust, If it's not one thing, look at another. Don't be blind today to the true condition of your heart. If you're lukewarm, the scripture says Jesus is about to vomit you. I can't think of anything more unpleasant than to be vomited. And yet that's what Jesus is saying a lukewarm person does to his stomach. He makes him want to vomit him out. You know, it doesn't work to constantly look at the wrong of another person. We have to look back and say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? You can't protest your innocence and have an absence of power in the Holy Spirit you can't protest your innocence of sin and not be able to get on your face before God and change what's happening in the physical realm. And You look at your loved ones, you look at your family, and you say, wow. Is it okay if your mother goes to hell? Is it okay if your father goes to Your brothers, your sisters, is it okay if your family goes to hell? People you work with? Friends, neighbors, is it okay if they go to hell? Do you have a deep, abiding concern that drives you to your knees and drives you to pray for them? Or is there a A cold casualness about your heart and a self satisfied contentment with your life, with who you are as a person? Do you rise up against others? Or is there a humility in your heart toward Jesus and toward others? Do you consider others to be better than yourself? Are you confident in your own righteousness today? Well, tomorrow I'm going to come back and we're going to deal with the publican. The publican is also difficult to deal with Most of us don't want to identify with the Pharisee and most of us don't want to identify with the publican because they are both far extremes and we don't want to go there. We want to stay right in the middle where we're okay but we're not okay. You know, at some point, we have to come to terms with we really are in Jesus Christ and as we do that the Holy Spirit will begin to produce in us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control I talked with one person and they said oh I am working on my patience I don't have much patience I said, did you know that patience is a fruit of the Spirit? It's not something you can force. It means there has to be a deep change in your heart where you confess your sin and your arrogance before God. They look shocked. A lack of patience is arrogance? Yes, it's pride. the fruit of the Spirit. It comes to those who belong to Christ Jesus, who have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. And so my message today today is, we've been called to live by the Spirit of the living God. We need to keep in step with Him, and He will humble our hearts. He will uncover anything that is blocking His presence in our lives. We want the Holy Spirit. Now, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to thank you for listening today. Invite a friend to listen with you. These are not easy subjects to deal with. They're very painful. For me, they're very painful. I pray they are for you, too. There has to be a new kind of church. For the church has not touched America and kept it from going into utter darkness. There's going to have to be a non-institutional church that rises up, that deals honestly with its sinful condition before God and receives the washing and the cleansing. I'm praying today for you. Would you write to me? If you'd like to support this ministry of Pilgrim's Progress, write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I am so grateful for those of you who have been writing and who have been sending offerings. We're way down this month as we were last month. I suspect it's because of the uncomfortableness of the topic. But if it's meant something to you today, if you are hearing that deeper call to a life of Christ, would you write to me? The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 You can also go to our webpage and you can listen to this message again. You can go to Facebook, Twitter. You're welcome to follow up and get every resource you need. Go to the NationalPrayerChapel.com. You can give online, or you can just listen to this broadcast again. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the publican. God bless you. I love you. We'll talk soon.
1: So